front of you, entitled Paul's Dynamic Citation from the Septuagint in Writing Romans 3, 10 through 18. I have reduced to paper what I had on the marker board last time. And it, um, it, it's essentially the same thing, but this time I, you know, I was able to include the actual scriptural references, which makes it easy to do the co comparison side by side. So you see Romans 3, 10 through 18 on the left, broken down by verses of citation. And then the Septuagint from which they are pulled, the passages on the right. And uh, you can see the quotations going down the line. All of the quotations here are taken from the NRSV for simplicity's sake. I could have gone through and chosen better renderings. I could have pulled it from the Greek had I desired to, and I nearly did that because I have a um, translation of the Greek, of the Greek Old Testament uh, straight into English in a very wooden form. But I decided let's do it in something that is more accessible to more people, so I did it this way. And this allows you to see the parallelism here. And I broke it down a little bit more than I did last time on the board. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Paralleling from Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise, who seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike perverse there is no one who does good, no, not one. So there's clearly a parallel structure there. There's parallelism in terms of words used, although Paul in not, hasn't just selected them and smashed them together hodgepodge. He's done some interpretation, some applications, some massaging of the reading. And you also have to remember that while the NRSV here pulls... The rendering is pulled from the Hebrew Old Testament. Paul was reading the Greek translation, and that reads, therefore, slightly differently. A little more like what you have in his quotes, but not entirely. There are some differences. But they're close enough that you can see. Look at verse 13a from Romans 3, as paralleled by Psalm 5, 9, parts C and D. Their throats are open graves. They use their tongues to deceive their throats are open graves. They flatter with their tongues. I mean, that, that right there just hits you. Notice that second part, part D from the psalm. They flatter with their tongues. They use their tongues to deceive. When one flatters somebody, mm, there's usually an intent to get something. And the negative twist on that is deceptive. Deceptive. Flattery will get you everywhere, my dear. <laughs> Psalm um, 140, verse 3, parallels Romans 13, part B. The venom of vipers is under their lips. And here you've got the first half, which, you know, part A doesn't really apply. They make their tongue sharp as a snake's, but part B does. 
and under their lips is the venom of vipers. Selah. Selah means, think of that, wow, shazam, <laughs> golly. <laughs> Verse 14 from Romans chapter 3, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Psalm 10, verse 7, their mouths are filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. That's an interesting pull there. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, 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 the clearest is the last one. Verse 18 from Romans 3, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36, 1, part B, there is no fear of God before their eyes. I mean, just straight out. Mm -hmm. Paul so deeply versed in the Old Testament in the Hebrew scriptures and in their parallel Greek translation is able to pull organically from multiple places mostly from the Psalms here one citation from Isaiah and in fact you could pile up extra passages that have similar allusions but these are the most clear he pulls from all over the place from all over the Psalms to piece together this running indictment of human sin. And that's what it is. This is an indictment of the human condition, of what it means to live in sin, to, to be sinners. So pulling it apart, seeing its source is important. It reflects two things. It reflects the brilliance of Paul in, in being able to pull from across the Hebrew Bible from the Greek translation of it, probably from memory. That's why I say it's dynamic, it's organic to himself. Probably from memory. And he pulls it, knits it together dynamically, applying it to this exact situation. Now, it, it shows us his brilliance, and it shows us his creativity. It, he, is, he is creating scripture here, from scripture. It takes a heart that is open to God, and it takes a mind that is able to, to both remember, articulate, identify the appropriate passages, and knit them together. So taking a look at it within the context now. What then? Are we any better off? Who's the we he's talking about here? Romans chapter 3 verse 9. Are we any better off? Who are the we here? Jews. Jews. Inclusive of himself, and he's a Jew, and he's talking to the to the Jewish Christian community in Rome who have been bragging about how wonderful it is to be a Jewish Christian, how wonderful it is that they've got the law, how wonderful it is that they've got circumcision, and you dirty, rotten, scoundrel, Gentiles, you ought to get circumcised too. I mean, come on, just lay it on the line, let me snip on it, theologically speaking, <laughs> and in a sense, literally speaking. Then, what then, are we any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, 
are under the power of sin. I mean, you're under the power of sin whether you know the law or not. If you don't know the law, you have, you're in a disadvantage in a sense. Because you can't identify it as easily. You know it's there in a nebulous sense, but it's harder to see it. It's like you've got a multi-pieced, warped, and unformed mirror instead of one that is more intentionally put together to be able to look in and see your sin nature. It's like a minefield, isn't it? it uh, the Pharisees and the Jews had uh, mosaic laws that helped them through the minefield. Yes. These guys don't know where they're stepping. That's a good way of viewing it, almost like a map. With Ball. the law, you can see where you're a sinner. But with the law, you also see, you should see, how terribly <laughs> incapable you are of being righteous on your own, which is both a blessing and a curse. And they were bragging, look, we've got the law. You should be like us. We've got Abraham as our ancestor. You know, you can't have that, but you can become Jewish and, and adopt what we have. We know better for you. We know what's good for you. Women cook kosher, make kosher clothing. Men, get circumcised. Plant your fields with one kind of seed. Be good Jews. Two. Jesus and was their basic motto. We are better off, they were saying. And he says, are we better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin, as it is written. And now he begins this dynamic citation. And it's a quick repetition. One thing he's done in, in these citations from the Septuagint is, and I looked at it in the Greek, he's adjusting the grammar. This is part of his brilliance. He's not just pulling pieces here and there and stuffing them together, butting them up against each other in ways that don't work grammatically. He's reforming the grammar. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Their throats are open graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's our circumstance. Now as he's using the word they there, is he specifically speaking to any particular group? It's an indictment of all human beings. Yeah, that first section definitely seems to be that mm -hmm. because it's more generic in that there is no well, one who is righteous. I don't think I I yeah, you could you could make an attempt to try to subdivide out that he's he's applying certain pieces to certain groups. I think the totality of the whole chapter 
and, and of the argument he's making here is probably better fulfilled by understanding the whole citation as being a general indictment of all human beings, Jews and Greeks. There is none that do good, no, not one. And as a, a preeminent example are the fools who say in their heart there is no God. I mean, this is not just an indictment of atheists here. Mm -hmm. But when we attempt to make our own selves God and live, live the kind of lives that we want to live and God's will for us be damned, well, we are making ourselves God and that's not a God. We're a fool. If we're saying there is no God other than me, ooh. So I think this is a general indictment against all, all people. Now, yeah, you could go through and pull out preeminent examples here of where Jewish Christians have been like vipers with venom under their tongues. But you can say the same thing about certain Gentiles who opposed Christ and opposed the church. You know, but in that, um, when he's comparing 1012 to us, Pulling from Psalms, mm -hmm. and I've noticed this, he does that pretty much all the way. Mm -hmm. He's a little more, um, how would you say it? Uh, and for instance, the best way to say it is it says they have all gone astray in the Psalm. Yeah. And he says they have become worthless. Yeah. That's a little more stringent. They have gone astray, they have gone astray and reached the extent of what it means to go astray. Which is to become yeah, worthless. Understood. But he kind of puts, sums it up for you, doesn't he? It's not as tactful you're, as the song. No, you're worthless. They, they you're don't, worthless. We they, are all worthless. Yeah, they have talking. gone astray and become sheep meat. <laughs> Ground up sheep burgers. Yeah, reading that 10 through 12, you know, when I read No, those are worth something. <laughs> <laughs> to us who want to eat them. <laughs> and in this case, to Satan who wants to eat us. He's yeah. saying we're worth. We're worse than that. We're worthless. Yeah, we're not even, saying we're we are worthless. like rotten sheep burgers. David is saying you're okay. You just went astray. That's right. You know. Well, not even. You're okay in the sense that you've still got a chance to come right. back. Yeah. If you're not perverse, you can come back. Veered off the path. I don't yeah. see that word. In not by our own there. ability, no. And that's what Paul is yeah. saying. Gotcha. As I said, he is interpreting here, yeah. as Looks well like as judging. quoting. Looks like he's judging. Yeah, he's making he's laying an indictment okay. against all humankind. And he is I mean, yeah, it says they and there, but my goodness. There is no one would include himself. Exactly. Yeah. He's inside the target. <laughs> in terms of his own ability to do it. Oh, wretched man that I am, he says elsewhere. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I cannot do it. That's the, that, that's the situation described here. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Rotting sheep meat. There is no one who shows kindness. There's not even one. Their throats are open graves. That is a powerful image and one that could even come from Jesus. As, as we've said in the past, and we all know it from the Gospels, you're like a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You're pretty on the outside, but dead man's bones and uncleanness on the inside. Your throats are open graves. They use their tongues to deceive. It may sound good to begin with, but it's pernicious. 
evil. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They're not even going to, they're not slow about doing it either. Let's just go killing. Ruin and misery are in their paths. I don't want to be around these people. They don't sound like a whole lot of fun, do you? Do they, you? You think they're, they're already persecuting the, 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 the uh, Christians already? Who? Whatever's going on at this, this period of time. Uh, Jewish Christians are giving Gentile Christians heck. Hell. Because they are not becoming Jewish Christians. And the Jewish Christians think the Gentile Christians need to become Jewish Christians to complete their Christianity. That's an interesting twist because we hear today of Jewish Christians who are talking about completing their Judaism by becoming Christians. Baruch Hashem, the Jewish Christian community, uses that phrase all the time. You know, they have become completed Jews. Well, back then it was the other way around. You become a completed Christian by becoming a Jew. It was just a sect of Judaism. And that, that persecution was underway. And he is talking to those who are doing this. And are, is saying, look, you're in this group too. You may think you're a, you're a good sheep on the path, but you're just rotting sheep meat. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a general indictment of all people. People without hope. It seems like he's, oh. he's describing people without hope. Precisely. People without hope, people without, without God. Hence the beginning of Psalm 14 where it says, Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. Without God, there is no hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... This is his response to their statement, we're better off, we got the law. And, you know, he's, he's just before said, what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, he says that back in verse 1, much in every way, there is a value in this. We know about all this stuff. But if we are true and if we are open-eyed about our circumstances and situations, we know we're just rotting sheep meat. <laughs> I like that phrase. I'm going to use that a lot. <laughs> <Apparently>. Six times. <laughs> Booze County. Where, where is your rotting sheep meat? I'm missing that in mind. Well, that what goes astray? <laughs> All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And when we rot, okay, if it's rotting, they can't eat it. So yeah, it's useless. It's worthless. <laughs> We're a rotting sheep meat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Very descriptive. <laughs> Hope we don't have to go eat afterwards. Euphemistically <laughs> speaking. So that's, I mean, he has said, yes, there is advantage. But that advantage indicts us too. By that advantage, we can now know that in truth, we're not any better off. We are in as much need of being rescued by Jesus as them dirty, stinking Gentiles who were never on the path to begin with. We have the problem that we can see it, which is a blessing and a curse. 
it, it, it can lull, the curse is it lulls us into thinking we don't need Jesus. We've got our traditions, being good Jews, circumcision. What, what do we need? We can seek after righteousness. We know what righteousness is. We can seek after it on our own. We don't need to be transformed by grace. We know what we're supposed to do, and we should do it. And those dirty, stinking, rotten Gentiles, they need to do the same thing. Paul says to them, they didn't have the law, and yet they do the law, which is written on their hearts. And you, you have the law and you don't? You, know, you may think you have an advantage. You may think you're better off. But you're really not. You're really, really not. The problem with the Jews actually then at that time was that they, dis they didn't understand the law. No. They, they, they didn't understand the true law. So they were misled by thinking that they understood the law that they had. They believed that the law was there to tell them how to be right with God. They believed that the purpose of the law was to show them how to be righteous. And what we learn by experience as sinners is that it shows us what righteousness is and our inability to be it by our own, ability, by our own strength, by our own nature. We need help. And not just the sacrifice of animals. We need that sacrificial power, the power of Christ in us, which is what's going to be talked about next, faith. We need that within us to make the connection with God to enable us then to live that that righteousness that God has for us. The law, therefore, becomes a schoolmaster to teach us how far we fall short of what God's expectations are, our inability to do it, and where do we go for relief? The Jews and the Jewish Christians had the disastrous problem of thinking they had the pathway for what they were supposed to do in the law. Jesus was an additive to, to, to do away with the necessity of the temple and the sacrificial system. Um, it's still pretty. It's still nice. It's a neat ritual. Let's keep doing it. But Jesus takes care of all of that. And so he gets rid of our sins, and then we can be good. In a sense, Jewish Christianity, the Jamesian version of Jewish Christianity, was much like what the heresy known as Pelagianism was in later centuries. Pelagius, important heresy. It's the one that Calvinists tend to accuse most other Christians of being. <laughs> but Pelagianism says that what we have in Adam and Eve and throughout the Old Testament in the law is the bad example of sin. And what we have in Jesus is the good example of how to not sin. So Jesus' death pays for sin. He's right. Unfortunately, after that, it's J.C.'s example of how to live 
not grace, his example, which they said was grace. And it is, but it's insufficient. J.C.'s example of how to live that we should follow. And you have it within your nature to do it. In other words, the concept of the fall and original sin doesn't exist. The idea of original sin and that you have a sin nature within you that keeps you from being able to do God's will, to be righteous, to complete the law, doesn't exist. It's just a bad example. Jesus gives us the good example. Well, in this whole structure that Paul does is the direct opposite of Pelagianism. Yeah, exactly. Because Pelagian saying that everybody is essentially good. Pelagius says everybody is basically good and we learn how to be evil. We learn how to do this verses 10 through 18. This is learned behavior according to Pelagius. Not endemic to our natures because of the fall, but learned by the bad example of Adam and Eve et al. Why then do they claim the first item that Jesus' death pays for sin because if there was they, no sin to pay for? They, oh, they don't deny that there is no sin to pay for. They believe that sin is real. It's following the bad example of, of Adam and Eve et al. Bad choices. Bad choices, yeah. It's the bad things that you do, not the nature. Hence, Jesus' death pays for those bad things. Wipes out the penalty of the bad things that you did. And until you can learn how to keep the law, it keeps on keeping on. Keeps on taking care of your sin. Until you learn how to live a life that is righteous, in which, at which time you have no more need for Jesus and the cross. Because you've become perfect. I've not sinned since I was sanctified. A Pelagian would say, you are born sanctified. You've just got to relearn how to be sanctified. That's what Pelagians said. Now, Pelagianism becomes works righteousness. It's, it's the preeminent example of it. Lots of modern Christianity tends to stumble into a version of Pelagianism. But what do you do with all those bracelets that say WW? What would Jesus do? Yeah, exactly. well, oh, the Pelagians would love exactly. what would Jesus do? Exactly. Oh, they'd love it. This is where what would Jesus do? Oh, they love that idea. You know, what would Jesus do? You ought to do it. Now, you know, the, 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 the true sorry unbelieving but. What is a heresy? A heresy is not something that's totally wrong. It's taking the truth and pushing it to the extreme of all other truth. That's how you get a heresy. The two classic heresies of the church are Arianism and Gnosticism. Arianism, which says that Jesus was just a human being who was adopted by God. Gnosticism, which says that Jesus was God who appeared to be human and really wasn't. That's the classic Christological heresy difference. Both of them contain points of truth. Jesus was human. Jesus was God. The Orthodox 
solution to the problem and the war between those two wings of the church was to put them together and hold them in tension. Jesus is fully human and Jesus is fully God. And how that's possible is the subject for many church councils and theological debates. But uh, Pelagianism in this place, in this case, would say all this from verse 10 down is learned behavior. Paul would say, uh-uh, it's behavior you inherited. It's a condition that you inherited. It's a nature that you inherited from Adam. So here he's talking about the condition in which all humanity finds itself. Fallen and I can't get up. Fallen and I can't get up. Like the Pelagians would say, you're not really fallen and you can't get up. Yeah, and we're more comfortable with that. And I kind of like what Lee said, which points out there's no hope. Yeah. Without God, there's no hope. With, right. And you don't want to admit that. The we Pelagians, don't admit that. No. The Pelagians would say, coming. you've got hope within yeah. what God has revealed to you in the Old Testament and in Jesus. Yeah. Now, semi-Pelagianism, which is a step down from that, says, you just got to sin six old. Sin is, sin is something other than a bad example. It's an illness that won't kill you. It's like having a cold. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no vaccine again. <laughs> and it'll plague you for a long time, and you just got to get well. And getting well is coming to grips with what the law calls you to do and the kind of person that Jesus wants you to be. You've got to get over it. Now, semi-Pelagianism is very appealing to a lot of people. <laughs> and it's pretty much the, the what... When I said that Calvinists accuse us of Pelagianism, they actually accuse us of semi-Pelagianism. Is it wrong? But that's what they do. <laughs> that's what they do. Okay. So in Romans where Paul talks about sin being um, like, a, like a law, as in like the law of gravity. Mm -hmm. it's, a, yeah. it's a real force. It not, is not a consequence of... No. It's not the things that you do or the consequence of the things that we do. Right. It's an actual law or As in the feature, law of gravity. like the law of gravity. It's an actual law or feature of our existence. Like feature kind of makes it appealing in a way. It's a defect. It's a def <laughs> definitely a defect. The Star Wars, you got good force and dark side. Well, but but in that analogy, the problem is is that the the dark side is something that they have to accept and dive into on their own. Whereas in Star Wars, Star Wars is, is, is very semi-Pelagian in a sense because Star Wars assumes that everybody is born with the good force and you dive into the bad force. You accept it to get more power. I always know what that was about. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what Paul is saying is everybody's born in the, bad, in the dark force. Everybody's born in the dark force. Jesus brings the, the light force. You were going to say? Well, I was going to say, I could be misapplying it, but what I thought of when you were describing this is, wasn't there a sacrifice that was a trespass offering different than the sin offering? And I always equated that to the trespass offering was for things that I know about shortfalling of the law versus a sin offering, which was more all-encompassing, almost like addressing the condition versus the... The trespass, the, the specific trespass offering is for the, thing, the specific things that I do bad. I lied last week. This takes care of that. 
The general sin offering is for the whole condition for the sins I don't even know I committed, either by omission or, or commission. The sins that, it, the basic very nature that's endemic to myself. And that sin offering they did once a year, where it's a trespass offering they could do Anytime. All, all the time. Anytime. Did the Christian Jews do the sin offering too? I, I don't know if Jewish Christians between 33 and 70 continue to do that. I would assume someone like James would because that's a good part of the tradition. Jesus is the gold. This is the fiat money. I mean, I'm, I'm applying a modern concept to this, but that's the idea. He may have done it because to continue to participate in the ritual because it's a good Jewish thing that you do. And Jesus is sort of the, the type that casts the shadow back to that. And he would continue to engage in that because of that. The, the, the ultimate non-sequitur he's already done it for you. He has. So he's he's that, done it and it buys up all the past events and all the future yeah. sacrifices. So why would you keep doing it once a year? Because it's a beautiful it's a beautiful shadow of the original type of Christ. Good tradition. That's why you might want to do it. I don't want to do it. But he, he that I'm trying to put my brain into James. And James was so much into what you do. Show me your faith, I'll show you my works. You know, faith of that works is dead. Sorry, James, faith of that works isn't faith. And I don't mean the works of the law. I mean the works of Christ's righteousness living through you. The acts of faith. Faith is not passive belief. James had a very poor understanding of Greek. You can see say, it in his letter. That's just exactly what I was going to ask. You he can see it in his all. letter. The grammatical errors in okay. James are, are some of the most prolific in the entire New Testament. Some of the copyists cleaned it up a little bit over time. But you go back to the earliest copies of the letter of James and it's... Ugh. Yeah, you need an editor really bad, James. So he's describing here, I'm trying to get us forward. He's describing here the condition. I mean, we've been going for 45 minutes and haven't gotten a new verse yet. He's describing the condition of humanity here in contradistinction to what the Jews had been saying, which is, hey, we're Jews. You ought to be paying attention to us and doing what we say because we know what's really good for you, Gentile Christians. And he's saying... Yeah, you, you, you're right. You know, you do have the advantage of knowing the law, but that doesn't make you any better off because we're all right here. We're all ground up sheep meat. That's rotting. Seven. Now. Eight. <laughs> take it on the bird. Now we know. Verse 19. Let's get at least one verse in. <laughs> now we know that what... I want to get to 21 and following because that's my, one, some of my favorite Bible. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law for through the law comes the knowledge of sin which is what I said earlier the place and function of the law for a Jewish Christian for a Jew 
was to be justified in God's sight doing deeds prescribed by the law. And Paul is saying, uh-uh. No. No human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What sin is, how it functions in our life, what it looks like. He just gave us an example pulling from the writings, from the Psalms and from the prophets, Isaiah, and knitting them together to give us a good photograph, snapshot of how we have fallen into sin. Would, would quotations from the Psalms or, let's just say the Psalms, be as powerful and, and as meaningful to a Jew as the, you know, the, the core of the... Came from the Torah? Yeah. Well, if it came from the Torah, I mean, you still have to pay attention. But by this point in time, something from the writings, like the matter. Psalms, was granted was equal authority in many senses was granted equal authority with the core of the Torah okay. because the Psalms, the writings was the worship liturgy of, of the, not just of the church but because the church got it from the synagogue when they would sing in the synagogue they'd sing the Psalms just like the church in later generation independent of the synagogue their hymns were the Psalms in many cases pieced together so, so yeah. yeah. And the prophets too, especially Isaiah. Uh, they had a deep love of Isaiah. They didn't understand him, but they had a deep love of Isaiah. They didn't listen to him either. <laughs> no. Okay. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness. The righteous, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I'm going to stop right there mid-verse. We may not get any further tonight. <laughs> I want to hear your readings of verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What have you got there? NIV, this, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Comes through faith in, in Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ for all who believe. What's the RSV say? Just like yours. Identical to mine. Okay. Um, how does the Living Bible read verse 22? Read the whole 21 22. Okay. But now God has shown us a different way to heaven. Not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way. Though not new, really, for the scriptures told about it long ago. Now God says he will accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty, if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in this same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we have been like. Okay.
they really blended the two verses yeah. together. You don't have to think about it now. Do you? It tells you. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. I I can hear it. I can hear what they're doing. But I think they've taken too much of a liberty here. Yeah, I don't like the part where it says he's shown us a new way. Right. But it's really the old way. But it's really the old oh, way, really? and it's like he's changed his mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Agreed. Okay. How does the new King Jimmy read here in verse twenty-two? Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. <sighs> through faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. How about the old King James? But you said he sounded like he changed his mind. Well, almost he did change his mind. Because you'd have to reread the prophets to, to say that what came before Let's was set bad. that issue aside for now. <clears throat> okay. Let's assume. Uh, it's an important question. It is an important question. I would say that I, I'll give a short answer and then we'll come back to it at a later date. It, it's not that Jesus changed. It's not that God changed His mind. It's that earlier on we were in a different place in our spiritual development, incapable of accepting what okay. Jesus then revealed. All right. All right. Well, that's a slippery one. Okay. What's where? Read verse twenty-two in the King James. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all. And upon all them that believe. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Faith of, not faith. Right. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Now let's set aside the believe part for a minute here. The word is pistis, the Greek word for faith. But what about this faith in Jesus Christ, faith of Jesus Christ? I mean, in and of are two different things, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, they are in English. Yep. What we have here in Greek reads, Dikaesune de theo dia pistios, Jesu Christu es pantas tus pistiontes ugar estin Diastole, but I've already read too far. Uh, dia pistuos Jesu Christu. And that's it. Dia pistuos Jesu Christu. It's in genitive. And genitive is possessive. My marker. Marker of Greg Neal. Book of Greg Neal. Faith right. of Jesus Christ. Faith of Jesus Christ. But genitive in Greek is slippery because context can sometimes indicate that it is not mine, possessive concept, but instead almost locative, faith in, subjective, not objective. Sometimes this is objective, my book, book of Greg Neal. But subjective makes it the, you know the, the thing that is identified by the case is the subject. Faith in Jesus Christ. Now, well, thank God, because I hate to have that. Now, I I have faith. here's the question. 
Give me that, a break. Did that clear it up for everybody? No. I'm sorry, Bobby. I'm the only one who's no, no yeah, better you know, off. You don't have to be perfect like me. You don't have that type of faith. Because you're a subject, you see. Faith in, faith up. Nearly every modern translation, even the New King Jimmy, renders it faith in. Subjective genitive. The King James and a few translations written the genitive of, not in. Now, uh, I did a little reading. Douglas Moo. The New International Commentary on the Greek New Testament, the Epistle to the Romans. Douglas Moo is a brilliant scholar. Calvinist, but I won't hold that against him. He writes as follows. Picking up another key theme from chapter 1, verse 17, Paul highlights faith as the means by which God's justifying work becomes applicable to individuals. This, at least is how this phrase has usually been interpreted. And see for an example most, almost all modern English translations. But an alternative interpretation has been gaining favor. On this view, Paul asserts not that God's righteousness is attained through faith in Jesus Christ, but through the faith of Jesus Christ, or through the faithfulness shown by Jesus Christ. Advocates of this interpretation argue that it is the more likely one linguistically and that it makes better sense in the context. They are right on the linguistics. It really, it really is. For this interpretation avoids, now this is the contextual place where they make their argument. For this interpretation avoids the tautology, I'll explain that in a second, involved in the traditional view, which has Paul asserting the importance of human faith twice. Did you hear it? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's tautological, isn't it? If it's, if, if, if it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, but only for those who believe, or for those who believe, literally. Why say it twice? The argument here is it's not a tautological statement, but in fact a straightforward one. Through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who believe, who exercise that's a, a faithing thing, yeah. If you got faithing, you don't have a tautology. Our faith, therefore, to summarize the next two paragraphs of Moo, he's a long-winded Calvinist, <laughs> to summarize what Douglas Moo says here, it's our faith in the faith of Jesus. Not now he says one of the arguments against this theory is, is that it doesn't become faith in what in, in, in who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross for us, but our faith in his faith. Uh, but his faith is then demonstrated by what he did on the cross. His faith is then actualized and empowered by what he did on the cross, and so is ours. 
Through the faith of Jesus Christ. What is the faith of Jesus Christ? His faith in the Father that he would be raised from the dead. His faith that what he was doing on the cross would remit the sins of the whole world and that he would be raised from the dead. Uh, more than that, but that's certainly the start of it. And maybe the most important piece right here. Explain, explain to me why that isn't a, why we aren't coddling up to that concept again of the example of Jesus. Well, okay, let's read this. I'll go ahead and read Boo. Okay. Despite these arguments, the traditional interpretation of the phrase is preferable. The linguistic argument in favor of the alternative rendering is by no means compelling. And he goes on and he explains here for several sentences about how pistis, when it takes the genitive in other places, is not always possessive. And, and he's, he's, he's right, but it often is, too. It often is. Mm. If, on the other hand, pistis is translated faith, it is necessary to introduce some very dubious theology in order to speak meaningfully about the faith exercised by Jesus, the faith of Jesus Christ. Huh? And that's all he says. He says it's dubious. To, you have to introduce some dubious theology in order to speak meaningfully about the faith exercised by Jesus Christ. It's pretty weak to stop there. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but that's all he says. Finding most damaging to the hypothesis in either form is the constant use of pieces throughout 321 through 425 to designate the faith exercised by people in God, or Christ, as the sole means of justification. Well, if it's Christ's faith in God too, then it, at the, at, the, at the risk of being defined a Pelagian, Jesus' faith is not just an example. It empowers our faith, fills up our faith, enables our faith. It's the source of our the faith. The source of our faith is Christ's faith. Because we can't do it on our own. He does it for us. He does it for us. And if we attribute gaining the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that's something I've done. I've believed in him and therefore I'm righteous. Uh, yeah, that one little push, that one little push in the argument is probably what he's identifying as being dubious. Mm -hmm. Because it is a little bit weak to say that faith becomes something that you do endemically. Mm -hmm. Faith elsewhere is defined as a gift of God. Here it's defined as a gift of Christ Jesus' own faith. And the entire cross event, his suffering before, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, all of that is part of the Christ cross event and his faith throughout all of it and what he did for us empowers then our faith Mu identifies as being dubious here uh, I think you're right a little too quickly a to little me it makes too a lot quickly. more sense to be of because it, it, it you add 21 the and 22. Yeah. There is now a righteousness from God. Now he goes on to say, how did that righteousness come to be? The faith of Jesus Christ. Who can connect with it? Righteousness Those who of righteousness of God, faith of Jesus Christ. See, that's 
you put your finger on my reason for accepting the alternative, not faith in. I like faith in. Well, it's not like there isn't faith in. Well, just, 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 just a second. The, the translations give yeah. us the alternative. Mm -hmm. And the theological interpretation that it is faith in Jesus that saves. Actually, that's not wrong. Yeah. It's faith in Jesus. But that's articulated in the second half, second, the third phrase of the verse. Not in the first part. We got that right here in verse 22 at the very end. For... Um, <clears throat> Not at the end of the verse, but at the end of the part we read. For all who faith, the righteousness of God through faith of Jesus Christ, for all who faith. So there is a place for our active faith. It is our active faith in Christ Jesus, in what he did for us, in the faith that he had, which is a gift from God and is the... It is the preeminent example of the righteousness of God. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith... You have to add the there because it's not there in Greek. Through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who, who faith. Okay, what's the deal? What does he say about righteousness? Because isn't it all connected to right? That's why we're having this conversation. Righteousness is what we're after. The righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of Greg Neal or Rich Moolah or any of the rest of us. It's the righteousness of God. Can you give after. me a little bit more meat to right, mm -hmm. what righteousness is? Dikaiosune is the Greek word and it can mean uh, justification. Be, be made right with God is one traditional in, uh, concept. Uh, so that your, the margins of your life line up with God's will for you, as in the margins here in this Bible, are justified. Yeah, well, this, mine says righteousness from God, which gives, yeah, that goes the, back to, I don't have the right to take the righteousness from God to God. It's the God righteousness from God. It's the, God. it's the righteousness that God gives us. Right, that's from God. And Christ is the righteousness of God. Demonstrated by his faith, in his faith, through his faith. And then we respond to that by faithing. If we finish the paragraph, we'll get a little more. So I'm going to go back and start it up again and read it on through. But now, apart from the law, we're over, but let's finish the paragraph. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, and that could be from God, but I prefer to get a little closer, of God, has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who faith. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The very definition of sin is falling short of the glory of God, hamartia. To miss the mark or fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified, justified, righteousified, the same word, dikaiosune here, justified, righteousified, lined up with God's will by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, 
because of what he did for us on the cross in him. His death on the cross for us. His resurrection from the dead. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are now justified by his grace as a gift. Right? That's another argument in favor of it being grace, faith of Jesus Christ that we are connected to through our faithing. There's going to be another one right next. Whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. Stop right there. Calvinists say that Jesus didn't die for the sins of the whole world because if he did, then everybody would be saved. Everybody would be saved. Response to Calvinism is no. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but it's not effective to the whole world automatically in salvific form. It does reach the whole world in the form of prevenience, God's grace that goes before anything that we do. But it doesn't become saving. It doesn't become righteousifying. It doesn't dikaiosune us until we fade. It is made effective to us through faith. Here the reference is us. Made effective through faith. Whom God put forward, Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement. We're going to come back and hit all this again, but I want to get to the end of the paragraph. Whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. The sacrifice of atonement by his blood becomes effective for us through faith. He did this to show his righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. Christ becomes our Passover. <laughs> it was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies, Dikasunes, the one who has faith in Jesus. No, the one who has the faith of Jesus. Double that check. Make sure that's the genitive. Yeah. Ton ek pistuos Yesu. The faith of Jesus. It doesn't really make it a whole lot harder because the faith that we have comes from Jesus. It is a gift from Christ, from the cross, of the blood of Christ, the, the sacrifice which covers our sin that then flows to us and empowers us. It is the faith of Jesus that we are called to have within us acting in faith. Just as we don't do the works, that, the good works that we were created to do are not our own works, so also the faith we are, we are called to have is not our own faith, it's Christ's faith. Which was the gift given to us by of course it is. Of course. The whole that's thing a, that through. does sound a little bit like a totality. It, it does. <laughs> it does. Bad. It does rotate back. Yes, it does. But that's the source. If you take source. your book and give it to me as a gift, then it becomes my book. Yes, it does. Given from me to you, and then you read it, whatever, do with it what you're supposed to do with the book. 
Let us say I wrote it. Then I gave it to you. And then you read it to someone else. It's still what I have done, which you are then acting upon by reading it to someone else. That's kind of what you got here. That's why it gets misinterpreted all the Jesus' faith fills up, empowers, enables our faith. You could almost exchange pistis here, pistios in, in the Greek genitive, with charis, grace. You almost could do it. You almost could. Except that it's not a verb. <laughs> it, it doesn't, well, here it's in the noun form, but it's, it doesn't have the ability to be converted into, there's no gracing going on. There is fading going on. <laughs> it's the grace that lays behind the faith is what I'm talking about. And here it becomes a substance that then infills us. In the 26th verse, though, mm -hmm. I, I have in, in Jesus. I don't have of Jesus. Still pistuos. It's still in the genitive. So the King James wasn't consistent. It looks like the exact same grammatical formation. About more about us having faith in Jesus, whereas before it was talking more about the originating of faith which was the yeah. faith of Jesus. It, it started at, it all. It shifts at verse 25. Right, so, I can, so it makes sense, uh, to me at least, to have of over here in verse 22. And then well, the reason why is because while the grammatical formation is genitive, it has, the, it has a preposition ek in there. Ton ek pistuos yesu. It's in the genitive formation, pistuos, the same as before. The E O S, but it has the preposition ek in front of it. And the other one didn't. The other one just depends upon the grammar. I'm going to double check to see how many different relative forms ek has, because up here in verse 22, it reads, Pistios Jesu Christu. Dia through Pistios, the faith of Jesus Christ. Whereas down here in verse 26, it says, ton, the, it actually includes the, in the definite article here, ton, ek pistuos yesu, righteous, um, uh, justifies the one who, righteousifies, <laughs> the one who has, well, the faith of Jesus is how I would read that still because the definite article determines it. I'll double check to see what ek means here. I think it can mean of. I'll double check the grammar there and see, but uh, my initial reading is it's great. The faith of Jesus here. Even though even though the focus beginning in verse 25 is really more our faith in faith. his faith. The faith of Jesus seems a little unattainable. Um, versus the faith in Jesus. I mean, to me, you know, Jesus' level of faith was much higher than what I feel I could ever really obtain. It was By yourself, but it's God. Thank you, Rich. Exactly. Yeah. It's not what we do. It's never, the good works is not what we do. It's Jesus working through us. Faith is not what we do. It's Jesus' faith working through us. It's 
And yes, we have the responsibility to actually act, and we cause trouble every time we refuse to exercise faith. Every time we refuse to faith, we mess things up. That sounds complicated, though. If Jesus, but Jesus is never refused. push that gets us there. He is the author and finisher of our faith. But then we have to do something. I mean, it's a little complicated. You're putting it all on Jesus. Jesus is the one that does it, not we. That's correct. If that's that's true, why doesn't everybody... Who died on the cross? Okay, why doesn't everybody have that? We, we have, have to, to make this step. Yeah, we have to respond. It's that book thing. We Her analogy to. was great. The book Her has the book. If she doesn't do anything with the book, if she gets a book from him that he wrote, God. And sets and it on a shelf and doesn't read it. And yeah, and she doesn't do anything with it. And she's got nothing. She doesn't have the glory of God, so she's she's out of the picture, man. She has a chance to respond. She might as well not book. have the book. That's right. Exactly. If I don't use it, I might as well not have it. So it's getting done. You don't read it. Read it aloud or read it to yourself. You've, you've done nothing with it. You may have it on your shelf. It may look pretty up there. I know lots of preachers who have lots of books. <laughs> yes, right. And lawyers, too. <laughs> but uh, if you don't read it, if you don't employ it, it's worthless to you. Okay. It sounded at first like the book gets down and says, come here. I want to tell you something. <laughs> well, that, all, analogies, all, all analogies break down, but essentially yeah, yeah, okay. that's almost okay. precisely what happens. Jesus, Jesus, I, I, I love pulling from that, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He not only is the source of our faith, he then completes it within us when we then act. When we respond faithfully, when we say yes and trust and do. But then there's that sanctification process that we have that he didn't have to go through. He was perfect to begin with. Sanctification process. It's almost like a, a leveling of faith. There's different levels of faith, and kind of like the Amen and the Batak and the Has. Right. And so when I look at Jesus's faith, it would be at that Amen level. Correct. Okay. My faith is not at that Amen level, but it's it's got me in the door. I'm in the pro- sanctification process. That's why for me it makes more sense in that verse. The little, 6 verse when it's talking about now how I'm brought into a part of this it's through the faith, yeah. my faith in Jesus, because mm-hmm. I can't have at this point the same faith that Jesus had, so it's not the faith of Jesus, because that to me just elevates the level to we can say the words, and I, I can say those words but I feel the same way you do, it's a conundrum how can I possibly you know, be there remember when the, Jesus you know, uh, said to Peter do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He said it three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? In English. The first two times. First time, agapao me. Do you love me? Well, you know I love you. But Peter's response was, I like you. I like you. I like you. I like you a lot. First time, agapao phileo is the response. Second time, agapao phileo is the response. Third time, phileo and Peter gets pissed off. <laughs> You've asked me a third time now. You know it. He always reaches down to where we are. Wherever we are, whatever faith we have, it's still 
the faith of Jesus. It may not be fully formed. It not, may not be completed. It may not have come to its fruition, but it's still the faith of Jesus, just like it's always the righteousness of God. Whatever little bit of righteousness you have comes from God. It doesn't come from you. If it comes from you, it's works righteousness, it's self-righteousness, and it's putrid, it's dead. So when you put it that way, it's, it's different. Now, I would agree with that because it's like, okay, I have a piece of it. He had the whole of it. He had the completion. I have a piece of his faith. He had the finished version. He had the fully sanctified To begin version. with. Right, and ours is the sanctifying and version. When we are coming up to it, we need sanctification. He already has perfection. Right. He doesn't need sanctification. He's sanctified, past tense, complete. Never was anything but... We are not, and we are moving that direction. When we become glorified, when we become perfect, as Christ is perfect, we will have the completion of Dikaiosune and pistis here. But until we reach that point, we're always moving towards it, and he's always filling us with his pistis to enable our pistis. been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2008 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.